Welcome to Coming Out and Beyond. This is a show about LGBTQIA plus stories. I am your host, Anne-Marie Zanzel, and I am a late bloomer to the queer world, and I work with people coming out later in life. I provide both coaching and mutual support groups. I have many different labels, including, but not limited to, queer, lesbian, mom, daughter, sister, friend, minister, and fiance to my lovely partner, photographer, Tonda McKay. I passionately believe in the power of storytelling to change the world. In the telling of our own stories, we often can help another person to hear their own. Today, my guest is Miriam Grace. Miriam is a psychotherapist, lecturer, and author who has been in practice for 30 years. Initialized, initially specializing in trauma, she has been developing her research and writing into the topic of women in midlife, including women coming out in midlife. She is fascinated by the potential of being a woman of maturity and runs groups and trainings around these issues. Welcome, Miriam. It is so lovely to finally get you in a space where we can talk about these things. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's good that we're here. I've just got a squeaky chair there. <laughs> my chair yes okay so tell me Miriam what's your story <laughs> um well um I've been a psychotherapist for a long time uh, 10 years ago I was living in suburbia in the UK with my husband and two kids and a therapy practice and um 10 years later, I'm living in a different city with a partner who's a woman, um, still with a thriving therapy practice. And my kids have flown the nest now. Mm -hmm. um, but when I, when I was thinking about what's my story, I came back to this thing that I, for me, that coming out the sexuality part is only a very small part of, of coming out for me but coming out is about a whole um becoming a whole becoming of myself and I think when I think back to when did it all start it started quite some time um you know prior to the 10-year sort of transition mm -hmm. phase and um and it happened one year I decided that my child who had special educational needs um, I decided to take her out to school and homeschool her for one year um, so that we could get on top of some of the physical needs that she had and um, something happened inside me and it was it was about that confidence when I realized that I could throw the rule book out and do something different to, to my peers, do something different to what was expected, do something different to what had gone before me and how good it felt to be tuned in to, to that authentic strength and power and knowledge, you know, like this this is it this is the thing to do so i did i i did the i did it for my daughter but the payoff for me was massive and and it was a snowball effect because i began to think well you know what if i didn't manage the social diary and send my mother-in-law the cards mm -hmm. and what if i didn't arrange the dinners and the social life and what if I didn't initiate sex? Mm -hmm. What if? What well, it if sounds like. Did, what if I did what? What is me? What is authentic? Rather than what I have been brought up to do, trained to do, socialized to do. What if I was me? Mm. And that was so radical that my whole world ended up crashing down around me into a into quite a terrible place, which is how I ended up in a support group where I met you. Where we met, yeah. And um and coming out the other side of you know, just flourishing and um and, and yeah. I, I think also to what I hear is that you started to question yourself of 
what if I don't take care of every minute detail of our lives together as a family? (laughs) What will happen if I don't do that? Yes, yes. So that was the beginning. And then there was, you know, it was just the whole idea of realizing that um, a lot of what I did was about pleasing other people and um, and even even with choices of partner it was I could I could this is a terrible thing to say it's embarrassing to admit but there was a sense that I could help them or improve their lives by my input um, <laughs> and and what's what's really unique in my you know in my relationship um, now with my wife is that when I I went on a dating site, when I did that, I thought, what would help me? What would enhance my life? What do I need? And I I had never sat down in such a calculated way and thought, actually, you know, what what do I I need? Yeah. Mm, mm. But was it calculated or just honest? Well, I think it's it's about I'm an intelligent woman, and I think it was about engaging my intelligence. And I think there's a lot of things, um, you know. I think we, when we've been talking about counselling and and supporting people, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that we do unconsciously out of habit because we've been socialised that way, or because we've always done it that way. And and this was a really you know powerful rethink of everything so well it, but it's calculated, uh, perhaps perhaps not so much calculated but intelligent i i applied my intelligence to the search as well, well as actually, habits you know what i hear is that when you stopped taking care of people running all over the place and taking care of everybody and when you began this process and when you were at the point where you wanted to date you were able to take care of yourself and yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with taking care of your wants and needs. It's, I don't think it's, I mean, I mean, I understand why we, you know, why we would use the word calculated, but I think it's just like, you know, I need this in a person, this in a person and that in a person and it's okay. And of course I've been saying this to my clients for years and believing that I was doing that. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's just incredible how it's like a, a veil being lifted. And this is what, you know, um, why part of my research that began at that point, it was for a PhD, but I became sick. So I, I haven't done the PhD yet, but I'm writing the book anyway. Yeah. Um, but part of, part of, it was so, you know, it was such a switch for me in terms of sexuality and, and so on. It was so powerful. It felt to me as if a veil had been lifted as something quite unexpected, um, and completely out of my range of focus had happened. And, um, and I initially started going into studying midlife because I thought, is this, is this hormones? Is this, what, you know, what, what is this? Why, why would this, you know, be such a dramatic change? And uh, I haven't got any um, evidence about, you know, how the hormones play a part but I have interviewed hundreds of women for my research and there's one thing that women straight or otherwise all say about midlife which is is that there's something in midlife where when their hormones drop they suddenly can't tolerate bullshit mm-hmm. and, and and they just don't have all those lovely hormones that make them all, you know, um, well, they don't have eye to things, you know. As I understand it, the hormones are like the, like the mothering hormones, the nesting mm-hmm. hormones, the hormones that create family and, and all those things like that. So when those hormones drop, oftentimes those hormones are what keep you in those places. But when yeah. they start to drop, you're like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I just, I can't because this is probably for like, I always talk about with my clients is like that, you know, midlife is they're like, oh my God, I'm having a midlife crisis. And I'm like, yes, but that's perfectly appropriate. That's part of being, that's part about being a developmental, you know, developing as a human 
And midlife, we go, wait a minute, I, I was told to be this, but do I want to be this? And sometimes people say, yeah, I'm happy to be in a wife and mother. I love this. I'm going to stay here. This is cool. And then there's a lot of us that go straight or gay that go, nope, I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And it, um, you know, I, I was so happy being a mom, but that doesn't, you know, that isn't sustainable because I had the empty nest syndrome coming, you know, on the horizon. And, you know, the, the, there was a grief to go through. Um, you know, you and I've spoken about how grief is a huge part of all this process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I used to think what I want is my little girls back. And, um, I want to just hold the hands when you hold the hands down, not mm -hmm. up or sideways and take them to feed the ducks at the duck pond. And it was, it was just this huge loss that that's, that has gone and, you know, facing it rather than forcing our children to, to keep playing that role, mm -hmm. um, you know, well, we can try, but, um, Hopefully they're healthy enough to not go along with that. <laughs> so Good. we're here today to talk. Uh, so Miriam and I met each other in a support group for people coming out later in life about five years ago. And so we have had the opportunity to really see and observe a lot of things over the years. And Miriam, I, I'm really excited that Miriam's here today is because she's a therapist. She's a professional professional. She's got a list of things after her name. Um, and we're going to talk about therapy and women who seek therapy when they are coming out later in life and what's important to it. And so Miriam, I'm just going to open the door for you and say, why is it important to seek therapy or other methods of support, because I'm a coach, to seek therapy, but we're going to concentrate on therapy today. Why is it important to find a, a good, competent therapist when you are in the process of coming out later in life? Well, I think, you know, uh, I'd go back to this, this idea that it's not just about your sexuality, um, or you're more, it's not always that your sexuality has changed. For me, I really think my sexuality changed. Mm -hmm. But for a, for a lot of women, it's that their, their identity, their sexual identity changes rather than their sexuality. They've, they've always felt um, that their sexuality was as it is now. Was, was as I like to say now, not straight. <laughs> yeah. As simple as that. <laughs> so, um, you know, but we're whole people. We've been through whole, ex you know, whole experiences. And I think one one of the the things about the coming out later in life is is that if we think of things in terms of stress factor, divorce is a stress factor, empty nest is a stress factor, moving house is a stress factor, dating is a stress factor, loss, ending, facing yourself, menopause. Um, you know, this is not about a woman falling apart. It is just about the enormity of what we take on when we decide to live an authentic life. And initially, I mean, my own experience and, and that of um, so many of my clients is there's a euphoria, mm -hmm. you know, a real high. And it's, you know, and certainly, you know, when I, when I met my wife, it was like, this is, this is just wonderful. This is, um, you know, we can do anything. Mm -hmm. and, and I can remember, you know, this is so soppy, but I can remember us when we got together, you know, um, you know, you're sort of crying and being quite sad that we'd met later in life because, you know, we'd have less time together. I've um, been, you know, feeling like we were 19, but we thought we could do anything. And, and so um, my, my, wife who was my girlfriend then you know moved across the country changed jobs um you know uh, we were at one point we were nearly homeless because of you know what we were what we were faced with which including you know you know this Amory that I had a serious illness in the middle mm -hmm. of all this mm -hmm. so so it it was it was much more um you know the euphoria did not carry us through that and um, love is a wonderful thing and it is wonderful to be loved and supported but actually um, 
it isn't enough understanding and um and you know that understanding ourselves and compassion and understanding the whole context and actually you know funnily enough the reason that um i went into the group where we met um mm -hmm. is because um you know i had a partner who you know she had moved she had done all this she was lovely and supportive and after several months of hearing about it she didn't want to hear about my ex-husband and my lovely house that i'd lost and you know and the the difficult relationship i had in between that and you know and so on she didn't um it didn't feel appropriate that she should have to somehow be the support person and that friendly happens too yeah well i think i think that um women together are often very very good at giving each other emotional support and understanding mm -hmm. and and that deep relationship which is which is i those words i put on my advert in the on the website that i was on i said i wanted relational depth and yes i got that um mm -hmm. but uh, yeah she she didn't want to be my therapist well and that's something that you know like the i guess <laughs> old war horses like we are, Miriam. <laughs> like the thing is, is that one of the reasons that's important to seek out professional help is that your girlfriend may love you and care about you and has been wonderful to you, but sometimes they can't hold all the stuff that's going on in your life. So like my partner, Tonda, um, she was my support person and we've talked about it because she's going to write about like, you know, dating someone newly out when you've been out forever. Yeah. <laughs> and she said that what she realized is that it took her a long time to realize that what I was going through was had nothing to do with her. Yes. Yes. You know, she, and it was, she said it took her a long time to not take on yeah. my grief over the loss of my marriage or not be jealous because I was grieving my marriage. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it took her a good year to like not to figure out how to navigate all that. And so that's why you need somebody to talk to, because there is, oh, my gosh, there's just so many different pieces to all of this. And I think, you know, we could say, well, you know, um, you need you need to get over your past before you can enter your future but life and grief don't work like that sometimes you don't even know the grief until you get in a relationship with someone else it's it's you know we well i think when we're coping in crisis we don't know how bad it is i mean we're in a similar situation with the pandemic now mm -hmm. i think that we don't realize what we've what we've just all been going through for the last year mm -hmm. or so mm -hmm. um it will hit us later down the line when we feel safe again and it's like that with our grief mm -hmm. uh, you know that very often we feel our grief when it is safe to do so when we're in a safe place and very often that is when we are loved again mm -hmm. and oftentimes too we feel our grief i you know um like sometimes people are very um surprised how much they're grieving something that they don't think they should be grieving you know too much and it's oftentimes it's the old grief so all the old okay. grief comes in and like you know i i had a friend recently reach out to me and said my dog passed away and you know he was very important to me but i'm so surprised i'm like so devastated like like she was and i was like oh honey you've had so much loss and change in your last i mean this is giving that's like it's almost like a key to open the door and let you feel some of those feelings again after you know the time has gone on and also you know um grief is not really about whether the person is a human or an animal mm -hmm. about the the quality of the relationship or the depth of the relationship. So people can be more upset when their dog dies. When we have, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I think one of the, you know, I think the grief I had wasn't, wasn't so much about um, my ex-husband, but was really about the ex-me. Yes, exactly. The, 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 the me and, you know, I think that it's it's quite common thought in Jungian um, thinking that the first in the first half of adult life, you know, sort of twenty to you know maybe about forty-ish, um, we 
we try on adult behavior that we have seen modeled to us and you've got to remember if we're coming out later in life then that means we were born in the 50s 60s 70s mm -hmm. so um we're not modern in in the, in in terms of what we absorbed you know i i have to re remind myself i was born before the equal pay act in the uk Right. You know, I was born into a life where women could be paid less for doing the same job as a man. Mm -hmm. So we were born into that. And um, I'm losing my thread now. Um, but the, the, in the, oh, that's right. In the first half of adult life, we try on adulting. We try on what we saw our mothers do, what we've seen people do around us. And we try on these roles. And we make our way in the world and we establish ourselves um, in terms of family, career, you know, we get our house, we, you know, we're there, we're there in the world. Hey, here I am. I'm an adult. I'm in the world. And then the second half of adult life is much more about the relationship with the self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's not about the world and fitting in with the world in the same way and for me that you know that means it's a more it's a more spiritual time of life as well and it's more introspective um so yeah it's not a, it's not i think i think maybe people who are outside of this experience think well you you know first of all you do do this sort of life with a man and then you swap and then you do the same life again with a woman yeah. but, uh, you know it's 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 not they're not comparable it's it's a different thing altogether. it is it is a different thing and and what you were it's i you mentioned the spiritual piece to it and for me um this journey has been intense very intensely spiritual it's been about loss but also in this process of having loss holding joy at the same time there's been this process of holding two different very what we think of as opposing emotions at the same time um you know a lot like that loss of self i completely understand like I, like the, the person like i almost feel like when i hit 50 i was reborn yeah because like, yes, there are pieces from my old life that are still a part of, me, part of me, like my children and all those things that will always be a part of me. But there's things that in this journey that I have had, I've let go of and it's okay now, but it's been a deeply, um, a deeply challenging process in the sense that it is also been very spiritual in the sense of reframing how I view myself and how I view the world. The lens in which I look at the world has totally changed. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> just totally, I just look at it in a different way. And I like this lens, it fits me better. Yes, and I think, I think there's something um, we, we were talking just as we were setting up before this interview, you and I were talking about the technology and how we, you know, we sort of have to make it up as we go along and, right. and then how really with our specialist areas of supporting women coming out um, later in life, we haven't got a model for that. So we're making that up as we go along, just right. as in parallel, we're making our lives up as we go along because we have no blueprint and there's something really wonderful and freeing about having no blueprint um as well as you can feel very lost without the right blueprint. but yes you hit the nail you know when you said that you really hit the nail on the head for me it's like so pre i mean there have been pockets of people who have done this work over the years but it was pre-internet so the stuff is you know unless you knew somebody who was doing this work you know, you were out of luck. And now because of the internet, we're so well interconnected with people from like, you know, I've never met Miriam in person. We live in two different countries, but we've, we've been internet friends now for five years. Yeah. And I think what the internet do has done for us is has given us the ability to connect with others and hear these stories in a way which has been like life-changing for all of us, you know? And and we're making it up because no one's ever done this before. Like, how do you work with women coming out later in life? 
And so Miriam, how do you work with women coming out later in life? What do you do? What is like, what is your uh, uh, practice? What is your, do you have, you know, just what do you do? Like someone, I'm a, I'm a woman, I knock on your door and say, hi, Miriam, I think I'm gay. Can you help me? <laughs> and I know she's, Miriam is super busy right now. She can't help anybody um, because she's so full, but like, what would you say? Well, I, I think that it starts with ourselves. And I, I think it's, it's if I can be confident that I can make it up as I go along, mm -hmm. I share that honestly with another woman, mm -hmm. then she can gain the confidence that she can make it up as she goes along. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think some, some of it is around also modeling that like you say you can feel two apparently opposite things at the same time mm -hmm. and you know when we're talking about grief I also I work with all my clients it's it's not it's not just it's not just the lesbian yeah. Yeah. I work with all my clients around the importance of being able to regret mm. and to say I regret that or I regret how I did that. And that the reason it's important that we can do this is because if we can't tolerate making a mistake or getting something wrong or regret, then we can't make any decisions because we'll be too frightened of getting it wrong. When we make these decisions in our lives about how we're gonna do it, how we're going to move forward, we, we do the best we can. Mm -hmm. with the knowledge that we have but we do not know the right way to come out to do this to tell people we we listen to others we learn we we make the best guess at how to do things but if we're striving to do all do our lives perfectly um, and can't tolerate regret then we're going to be absolutely frozen in fear because um, life is full of I probably can't use the words here. <laughs> you know, life is full of fuck ups and yeah. it's really, really important um, for us to have some compassion towards ourselves and towards people who will be hurt. You know, it, we, it, I, it's very, very important to me to not put rose-tinted spectacles on, you know, everybody was fine. You know, my ex-husband and my kids were fine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's not true. That's not true. So I love, I love this thing. I love what you said about regret. Um, if a client came to you and said, you know, I'm really, and I know what you're saying about regret as a sense of being able to tolerate your mistakes. Yeah. But when somebody comes to you and says, oh God, I wish I had done this when I was so much younger. I, I really miss the fact that I miss, you know, the partying 20 somethings and doing oh, all yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, like, what do you, what do you, how do you work with all that? I, th I think it is, you know, that it's really important that you know, this, this woman can experience that that regret, that sadness about having lost so many years to, you know, to being inauthentic, because it's the very sadness and regret and grief that motivates her to not lose another day. Mm -hmm. You know, so it it's it's like, you know, frustrations like that regret is like that all of these things are important for us in terms of making a breakthrough if we're comfortable then it's the hardest thing to move you know if we, you know and I, I used to think this in a long time a long time before all this happened that um I don't mean to be rude about it but part of my clients because I worked in private practice there there were some of my clients who were um, ladies who lunch mm -hmm. and they might see their hairdresser on a Monday and their therapist on a Tuesday and go to the yeah, you know, on a Wednesday. yeah. and um, and sometimes I thought you know they're paying me money so that they can put up with 
marriages to men that they don't like and they're sitting there waiting for this man to die and that's awful um and i'm not saying it was about sexuality particularly um it was just a model of you know um what women what they're used to putting up with and and i thought I, I didn't want to be part of supporting them to get comfortable with with that and it's the same it's the same you know some of my clients i really believe had to take antidepressants to stay in their marriages mm-hmm. um and and i didn't want to be part of that i didn't want to be obscuring the truth and it's you know, I, when i was very young <laughs> i say very young when i was about uh, between uh 80 17 and about well it's about having children, I suppose, about 24, I used to do rock climbing. Mm-hmm. Now, when when you're on a cliff face and the you get to a hold where you can rest, it's really hard to leave that hold. It's really mm-hmm. hard to leave that place to go for something more precarious, but you have to do that to get up the top. Mm-hmm. And you're stuck on the side of this cliff face and then your legs start to shake uh, and everything starts to shake and you just have to you have to move but it's actually easier to move from an uncomfortable place than a comfortable place and I think that is one of the problems that that a lot yeah. of my, my say my brain is popping all over the place right now to to like I think it is incredibly like we as you and I have witnessed women that have reasonable lives that mm comfortable in not and I'm gonna say me I was not particularly you know I mean I was comfortable in it was a comfortable life it you know I I had checked all the boxes that heteronormative white women check and I had done them and um because you know um and and but the but the leaving of the place of comfort Mm was perhaps the most, the hardest part of it. Like, because I knew like, this is, I was like a smart enough to know that it was going to be a shit show. (laughs) And, and also really like having that, like what you talked about, um, like I was in, like also knowing once I knew what I knew, which was my sexuality, Mm -hmm. once I knew what I knew, I couldn't like put it back in. So it was when I was in that place of discomfort of knowing I'm gay and I'm married to a straight man and I'm in a straight relationship. What am I going to do with that? I don't think I can stay like this now that I know. Yes. And so that piece of information, Mm -hmm. even though I had been unhappy in my marriage for years, that's the piece of information that made me go, oh, yeah, yeah. It's like- I, it was it was it six months I pray I prayed I meditated I did let it, I cried in my parking lot at work and I did everything yeah yeah but once you know you can't unknow and then and then there's there's no it, you can't bury it again you right can't, you know it it something has to be done it doesn't you know I think we've said about this uh, yeah that um you know not everybody has to come out it's not it's not always right but but we have to do something with that piece of information and just going back to the you know the comfortable thing i think that um when i spoke to you um maybe it's a couple of years ago now but when i first spoke to you um we noticed that quite a lot of the women that we were supporting were able to pass as straight and that you know quite a lot were quite more perhaps femme Mm -hmm. and that I think if it if it wasn't so easy to pass for women you know when they were younger then then they were in the uncomfortable place and you know the hand force they almost had to come out whereas if you can pass well and that's I've I've actually like really have given a lot of thought about this because there are people that are in the queer community that are born in glass closets and and, and I'm talking about people that like yeah. my partner is masculine of center I believe yours is too it's yeah. harder to pass in those glass yeah. closets yeah very effeminate man who's gay 
um, they have a really, really hard time passing. So they have no choice. They, they just have to. But what I have found with our later in life community, a lot of women do, not all, there's always exceptions and there's always, you know, but some women do fall on the, um, on the more femme side of, um, of being gay. Um, and it becomes this quagmire because so, you know, the whole narrative in our culture is that you're supposed to get attention from men for women. Mm -hmm. And, oh, they did. <laughs> they got attention from men when they were younger. I got attention from men. You did too. And so, okay, so we're checking that box and we're doing it. It's just like, you don't even, you know, especially in the time, I think Miriam and I grew up, there were no role models. You didn't see anything on TV. So unless you happen to I don't know, meet somebody and fall in love or, you know, something you just didn't explore it or unless you had a glass closet and you had no choice. Um, and so what ended up happening is, you know, they, you know, you, you're not only, um, you know, you're, you're clicking, checking the box say, oh, you're attractive to men. <laughs> and, you know, it becomes, or, you know, it becomes so confusing because, you're like, okay, well, you know, I guess this is the road I'm supposed to take because yeah. everything in my society tells me this and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm doing this. So I guess I'll just take this road here. Yeah. It's and a straight road. And then, you know, I like the curvy one, but it's the straight road, you know, and you don't have to stay on it forever. Yeah. And I, I didn't see, I didn't really know there was a curvy road. Yes, either <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm writing a chapter for a, a therapy book um, and um, I, the title of it is Selfish and Destructive, Where Does the Late in Life Lesbian Seek Therapeutic Support? And I think, you know, this, this thing about the, the lack of role models, one of the research questions I asked was, um, you know, when, when you were growing up, what you know who did you know who was a lesbian and um and did you know any lesbians with children and i i mean f having children was the most fulfilling thing and and i just feel i was born to be a mother well i had no concept that you couldn't that you could have children um in you know in a different way to the way that i did that um and i I think I think maybe I did know some lesbians, but I I assumed I wasn't one because I like to have long hair and I didn't wear dungarees, um, and so I, you know I had this really stereotypical view and um, yeah and I I didn't don't think I knew some till later on and I'm just sort of wondering. Sure, if I have a quick question of curiosity: Why is the the chapter titled that way? Well, it's in quotes, selfish. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's, and it's I know you don't feel that. <laughs> but I have felt it. And I think, I think that the reason I chose those two words is because that is the sort of the internal thought that many of us have to overcome. And the selfish bit is about thinking about yourself. And the destructive part is that... Um, certainly for me and so for so many of my clients is, is we we put a lot of effort and a lot of years into building that yes right. and that structure and we bought into it yes. and we perpetuated it and we you know and we decorated it and we <laughs> we gardened it and we did you know we we did it and mm. we created this structure that then became a prison Yes. And we have to, in order to free ourselves, we had to start dismantling the structure that we right. had built. So in that sense, it is destructive. It is a structure that we are taking down. Well, you know, my uh, partner said to me when we were dating, she said, you know, she goes, you're in a cage. She goes, it's a gilded one, mm. but mm. it's a cage. And actually Ellen DeGeneres in her latest special, uh, Relatable, talks about being in a cage. And yeah. she says that, you know, she was in a cage, but she just didn't realize that the door was open the whole time. Yes, and yes, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, when we were talking about the, um, I was just wondering if I had anything here. You see, I, um, I said earlier about the, you know, the, the role models. Um, so here's a, here's a quote, an anonymous quote from somebody. 
1974, I didn't know any lesbians ever. I didn't even know what the term lesbian meant. I was raised growing up that you married a man and had children. The only role model I knew was Ellen on TV in the 80s. I will not forget when she said I'm gay on the microphone on her episode. Mm -hmm. um, and somebody else said, I was born in the 70s. I had no idea women could be gay. At 19, I came across an out lesbian singer and I just thought, wow, I wish I could be like her. But I knew I wanted a family and therefore I couldn't be. Yeah, I think that's another theme that goes through our later in life community, especially the ones of us that are over 40. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of us wanted children and we just didn't think outside the box. We thought the only way we could have children is to be married to a man, to have kids. And what I love today is I see so many lesbian families out there where there are two moms or, or gay families, two dads having children together, which is something like, so like going back to regret, there's a piece of me that regrets that I did not have the opportunity to raise my children with a female partner. Yeah. Yeah, I regret, I regret that. I mean, my yeah. partner and my kids get along great. They're not, she's not their mom, but they get along great. <laughs> but, you know, it, but I regret that, like, because I know how my partner has my back now and is mm -hmm. so, you know, just so there for me. And it would have been really nice to have raised children with, you know, somebody who, who may not be the one nursing, but would go get, get up and get the baby in the middle of the night or, you know, just be a partner, which I really, you know, like a lot of women our age, we tended to raise our children pretty yeah. much on our, we, we were, we were just the primary people. The yeah. Husbands would help out, but we were the primary people, but that's the, they helped out. <laughs> and it was, it was hard. It was, it was really, really hard. And I think, and lonely. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if it's lonely because um, I've always asked myself, so I, I, I just finished my book and in the chapter of the book, I talk about like, like having children and like how I thought it was going to be like the, the, the panacea that that it was going to be the thing that, you know, I was going to finally be happy because, you know, and, you know, and, and I had my children and I fall, fell in love with my oldest child, um, adore her, she's right upstairs. Um, and, but like, I was like, wait, wait a minute. I, I don't feel as happy as I thought I was going to. And so I asked a friend of mine who had a baby about the same time and she's like, oh my God, I love this. It's so wonderful. And of course, I chose the homeschooling mom of six children, <laughs> the eventual homeschooling mom of six children, you know, that was her first, but, you know, but I also wonder sometimes if my restlessness of being a mom was tied to my sexuality, like, because I was just, I, there was something restless and, and maybe I put my restlessness on, you know, oh, maybe with the kids, but it also had to do with other pieces of my life because I love, I mean, you know, I, you know, it's so funny how we always have to qualify them. I love my kids, but, but you know, it was, it wasn't as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. That's, I think that's the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is, you know, this is the importance of being able to, to share and the truth. And I suppose one of the things when you said, what would I do um, if if you knocked on the door and said you wanted therapy? Is I I, I ran my first um, group in therapy intensive for mm -hmm. women getting over their first lesbian love in April, and we had um, daily journaling exercises and then a two two hour therapy group every week, and it was an intensive and that's what I would do I would put these women in groups because yeah. they you know what they need what we all need is is to hear bits of our experience that's why people are listening to what we're saying right now is they that what we're all searching for at that point in our lives is is has anyone else 
thought this has anyone else felt like this has anyone else been through this and and that that is you know for for us is the wonder of the internet and mm -hmm. so on and when i when i joined that group um I was careful at first because I was, you know, I only had one foot out of the closet, um, but uh, I, you know, I gradually made friends. And you know what happened to my Facebook newsfeed is that it's true now and, and, and it happened. There's all these loved up women on there, <laughs> you know, and, and it's so, so cute and sweet and hearing their stories and it just made made it normal and you know I, I have moments where I sort of forget that I'm gay as in I sort of forget that I'm othered by society I don't feel other I feel like me I, I, I truly understand that like it's funny because like I go out with my partner now and I call her sweetheart and I call her honey and I touch her in public yeah. and I touch her arm or I put her, put my hand or she does the same to me. And I forget. Yeah. Yeah. That some people in heteronormative society look askance at that. Like yeah. I totally, like it, I just forget. <laughs> and then I like, then I remember it when we have conversations like this, but it's become, what ends up happening is, you know, as you move along this journey, it becomes your norm. Yeah. So you just don't even think about it in the same way that you used to think about it. So it's just my normal now, like pride month, my God, my Facebook feed is so filled with like, you would think there's no other than gay people. In the world. <laughs> are, there, are there other people? <laughs> yeah, there's no other people. I don't know of any other people. Um, yeah, so I mean, and it was, it's been interesting because, yes, uh, my wife um, has been lesbian all her life. And for her, we, you know, we're saying things have changed even in the last five years because I can remember when we were first together, she saw a couple of young women walking down the street in London holding hands and she nearly cried. She said, Oh, Oh, that's so beautiful to see. I've never, and we see that all the time now. Yeah. You know? um, so, I mean, it, it's moving fast. It's really fast. Oh. We're watching the TV and the adverts are full of lesbians. And well, and, yeah, that's true. And also to what I have found too is even, I don't, I think it's because of all the women that have come out later in the last, I feel like there's a movement going on. And yeah. I think people are rec are reclaiming their authenticity, and I mean, sparked by all of all the people that we know, Glennon Doyle, who wrote a book, who sort of glossed over everything, but she did write a book about it. And so, like, oh my gosh, we have a role model that's famous here. Yeah. Um, and um, and I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> and oh, what I was going to say is that the i find that even the more established like lesbian community that people who've been out for 20 30 40 years are not as dismissive as they were five years ago yes. i find that like in the like when you go online and you're in the large lesbian groups and someone says hey i'm new i'm just coming out i'm 40. Mm. People are just welcoming and people are unkind. I think they scroll and past yeah. and they don't say anything. But five years ago, sometimes you would be in these groups and you would get some pushback if you had been married to a man or if you, you know, and you would have people say something to you. Now I find that doesn't happen as much, maybe because I've been out. So I don't, you know, I don't talk about those things, but I just don't seem to notice it as much as I used to, you know? So I'm hoping that the language around this is changing and people are becoming more accepting that people can find their orientation or their identity at all stages of life. It doesn't have to be when they're 18, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I used to feel guilty that I hadn't been through some of the worst of the homophobia that my wife has been through, um, you know, and that I'd come out when it was easy, but it's been hard in a different way. It wasn't way. easy, Mary. It was, yeah, it's yeah, been hard, hard in a different way. And, um, well, that's you know. the thing is that that's what we all share in common. We all share the fact that we've come out 
yeah. we've all shared, we all share that there is a struggle no matter when it is and, you know, where, wherever you are in your life. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the thing that that's our common denominator is a lot of us, I'm like 99% of us have had to do this at some point and they have had some difficult things happen to us. It's like, we can't compare them. They're, they're both significant, very important experiences, but it's like comparing apples and oranges and we can't do it. It's all yeah. fruit, pun intended. It's all fruit. <laughs> you know, we've just had different experiences that have been just just different, but hard and wonderful, you know? So when 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 this woman uh, is looking for a therapist, it's, it's quite important um, not to assume that just because your therapist is a lesbian that she will understand right. um, this coming out later in life. Um, but most of the difficulties that women in, in our community have had have been with straight therapists, but there, there are a few um, who just, I think they think that if they just say, well, I'm, I'm accepting or I'm an ally, that that's it, you know, and well, my favorite one is I have a lot of lesbian friends. And it's not, it's a massive thing that affects the, you know, the whole of your life. And it's, it's, it isn't just that you want the therapist to say that's fine with me. Yes, it's you like, don't. well, it might be fine with you as a therapist, but right now for me as a client, it's really not fine. It's really screwing my whole life up. Um, and I would like some support and understanding for this. So I think- So what should, really people, what should people look for in this? Like when they are like saying, okay, I'm gonna go get a therapist. And we're talking about therapy right now. There's other you know, modes of, um, of caretaking, but we're talking about therapy, therapy right now. What should they look for, Miriam? Well, uh, obviously, the first the first one is is their qualifications and that they're you know they're accredited um, and have the it, it might be different for you in America, but here it would be that they're either it's UK the or ACT or whatever. Um, and then I think you know the if a, if your therapist wants to name your sexuality, you and I were saying that's a real a real no no because it's important to have the time to, to label yourself when you're ready and then to change it and to change it back again and to change it to something else and to do that in your own time. And that could be a life process. And I think sometimes if the, if the therapist is very attached to their identity, whether it's straight or gay, that they can they can want you to join them in mm -hmm. their sexuality. So, you know, be aware, um, and you know, look for a therapist who's very secure and doesn't feel that their sexuality is challenged by yours. Mm -hmm. um, and How do you assess for something like that? Like, you know, I, like how would you assess? You often don't. You often don't know. I mean, you know. Again, this, this might be one of these things around regret. Sometimes you might do. Uh, you know, it might sort of dawn on you, um, and that has happened. You're in. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, and uh, you know, like I say, I've I've got all these quotes. You know, um, uh, someone here says, "I've had a counselor tell me I can't be bisexual, um, and dictate my sexual orientation to me." Um, my first therapist was unhelpful. She advised me not to seek a relationship with a woman because life would get me messy. Uh, you know, I've got I've got so many quotes about this. Um, someone else says here, um, did I really just sit with a couples therapist for two and a half hours and try to convince him and my husband that I'm never having sex with a man again? No, I'm not bi, I'm not fluid, I'm not changing my mind, I'm gay. Um, it seriously felt like conversion therapy. And every time I have this discussion with a therapist, this is our third, I feel like I'm re-injuring my husband all over again. Um, you know, so. And, and it sounds like she's re-injuring herself because she's not being heard. Heard, yes. So that, that being heard and then, and it's not just around your sexuality, it's around your timing. 
and around your choice about what you do regarding your sexuality. You know, I, I have had clients who have had death threats mm -hmm. from their family because of their sexuality. Mm -hmm. And if they want to stay in the closet for the rest of their lives, then that is fine by me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's, it's really important to acknowledge that not everybody has the privilege um, to be able to come be out. able to come out and and what we talked about earlier too is that it's you know it's that once we we either have been a long like a long time feel like we've been a long time member of the lgbtq family in the sense that we've sort of always known or you know it's something that's sort of a new revelation to us when we hit midlife um that the choice that that's that's not the choice the choice is is what are you going to do with it right and and you don't and so what mary and i both really want to be clear is that you don't have to you you don't have to make the choice to come out you don't if it's too if it's too painful if you could be hurt if it's too scary you know you don't have to do it that like I feel like sometimes people feel pressure that they have to do it but if it's just not something that feels comfortable right now then you don't have to do it you can do it later you may never do it it's okay because otherwise you're just adopting the new sis the, the you know the new identity under the old system which is right doing what you're told you know right. um, or doing what you think you should be doing yes rather than that, doing you've made a really good point because I'm like oh I don't want to be telling people <laughs> but you made an excellent point the paint the point is is that you know do it when you do it when you feel comfortable and it's it's something that you want to do but you're not doing it because you think you should yeah because you know why why have we gone through all that awareness of realizing our conditioning if we then adopt it for some new you know it might be rainbow conditioning but it's still conditioning it's still a norm and um you know i think to you know to be aware of that we don't have to sign up mm -hmm. um, everything and i think um one you know one tip i would give to any therapist or support person if somebody comes out to them you know later in life and says you know i think i'm gay or i'm gay um and in a straight marriage i would just say to them how do you think that's impacted you and that way i'm not telling them how it's impacted them but i am acknowledging that you know it's a big deal mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I'm here to talk about it and I love that question because a lot of us when we first come out to families and friends the first question out of everybody's mouth is how are the kids or <laughs> or how's your husband handling all this very yeah. rarely do people say like, oh my God, how are you handling all of this? Yeah. How is this impacting you? There are people that occasionally do it, but most people don't get that question in the beginning. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. so, any more advice for the for those seeking therapy or thinking about thinking, seeking therapy? Well, um, I'll, I'll self-promote a little bit. I haven't any space for individual therapy, but I do, I do have some groups um, and I do have the um, heartbreak group, which I will run again, but probably for longer because I, I can't get rid of my heartbreak group. You know, they finished in April, but they're, they're still running and we're still having... Um, I find that, yeah. <laughs> Miriam and I both do groups and that's the number one thing is that people are looking for community and yeah. so like my groups sometimes are like let's do it again yeah. <laughs> it's like, and we do it again so um, I think what Miriam offers is so important um, so many of us who come out later in life often fall in love with somebody before mm -hmm. all of that happens some of us do some of us don't and sometimes getting over that heartbreak Mm. is possibly the hardest thing people have ever done and so I'm so excited about these groups Miriam I think it's going to be really really helpful to a lot of people would you can I ask you something would mm. you allow a girl a woman into the a woman into the group that might be in the late 20s early 30s not particularly coming out later in life but um you know is is processing their first you know yeah. heart yeah, my 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 group i sort of say what the group's about 
So, you know, I talk about the heartbreak and so on. And my group is for anybody who identifies with that experience. So, you know, it's, it's really um, very inclusive. It's really up to the client to sort of think, well, will I, you know, will I get what I need out of a group that might be predominantly middle-aged um, cis women, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. it's open to everybody, but it's just thinking about how to get your needs met and whether that group description is what you identify with rather than the labels. So how do you work that group? What happens with it? And um, like, how do you work through all the heartbreak? Well, um, we, we're really trying to do in tandem two things. One is, is the grieving and the other is living your life and moving forward. So instead of waiting for the grief to be over before you move forward, we're doing both together. Mm-hmm. Um, we are looking at the, we do the feet, we do week one is really about acknowledging the feelings and week two, we're doing um, the, you know, the thoughts and the conditioning and um, the, um addictive chemicals and and all of that what you know so we do our, we think about how why is it so powerful we so we do feeling thinking then we do behavior and there's things that that women in that much intense pain do to perpetuate the pain and so we look at behavior and then we we sort of look at this sort of flourishing and engaging moving forward so those are the four week themes um but it's all about um you know steps forward steps back um feeling terrible crying a lot and and then doing exciting things on their own um that are about you know self-care and self-compassion so I would say it's mainly you know self-compassion based but you know we use our thinking so I, I do a um a thought for the day a journaling exercise during those weeks um and the women commit to reflecting on you know their hurt their anger their feelings and so on there's um, a healing heart meditation that I've recorded and actually that is free for anyone who wants it, if they sign up to my newsletter on my website, and I'm sure you're putting the links mm-hmm. in on this. So if you sign up to my newsletter, you'll get my healing heart meditation. And um, some of the women in my group say they've done that several times a day on a bad day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so the, so there's there's that. And I, I've, I, um, I also train psychotherapists and counsellors in um, work in sexuality training and um, and I've run several sexuality workshops over the years um, but I'm now including um, the coming out later in life chunk in that um, and this is just because you know um, straight therapists and um, lifelong lesbian therapists and gay men and so on they can all support um, these women as clients. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it does, it, we do need to have training. And I, you know, I don't say that my personal experience qualifies me to, um, to do this. I've, I've paid for and been away on courses, you know, about working with, you know, diversity and sexuality and gender and all of those things. And, you know, to keep our qualifications, to keep upping our qualifications is really important. So I'll be running some trainings about that. And those can be found on my website as well. So all that information will be at the end of this. Um, It will be up at the end of the podcast and it'll be on the YouTube channel so you can find Miriam. Um, So Miriam, we're going to let's wrap it up. And you, you know, when you were coming out or actually, let me rephrase that. A book or a movie that really like just widened your view of the world or changed your perspective. Do you have one? 
I don't I don't really have one, but um, probably, you know, the one I can pick out just today off the top of my head okay. is um, is a book by a British author, um, Deborah Levy, and it's called The Cost of Living. And um, although she's not actually coming out, it's about a woman in midlife, empty nest, um, divorcing and just learning to look after herself. And it's autobiographical and I just related to every single sentence from that book. Um, if I could see where I've put it, because I carry it around with me a lot, I would read you a quote, but I can't find find it. But um, yeah, right. Deborah Levy. Mm -hmm. okay. Coming outside, do you have one? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think it would probably be the, the song that my wife and I danced to at our wedding, um, which is uh, Frank Sinatra, You Make Me Feel So Young. We, we were 50 when we met and we felt like 19 and we still, you know, and I, I just played it before coming on this and, and uh, she came in and, you know, gave me a kiss and a hug. She said, isn't it nice that you can do something in one minute that can change your whole mood for the better? And we were both smiling and, you know, dancing. So, yeah, you make me feel so young. <laughs> I like climbing to the moon. That's one of my favorite. Right? Yeah. Thanks, What's the best thing about your life now? Um... I I love living off script. Mm. It's it's not I can't say it's easy, but I feel authentic. I feel connected um, in a relationship where I feel I've got that relational depth that's so important to me, and and it's exciting because I really I really don't know what the blueprint is. there is no blueprint there's no script so um that suits suits me um suits me that's the, that's the title of your next book <laughs> living off script yeah <laughs> that would be perfect that sounds good I'll write that down better write that down <laughs> all right well I want to thank you so much Talking to you today was wonderful. It felt like a conversation. We went all over the place, but it was wonderful. And I really appreciate your insight about, you know, when people are seeking out a therapist. And I hope we can have another conversation sometime. Yes, yes. Particularly on the heartbreak thing. I think that would be really that, interesting to go into that some more. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Miriam. It was wonderful to have you today. It's my pleasure.